We're back. We're back with another show, No Mex Effect. I'm Sean Langdon. J.R. Todd. We're uh, got another good show for you guys this week. Uh, got a lot of things to talk about. Talk, uh, uh, talk about uh, the last couple races, Virginia, Bristol, um, a lot of cool things. Uh, saw a lot of differences uh, between the two racetracks. Um, but, uh, I mean, we're, we're excited to be back. We're excited to uh, keep the show going for you guys. Uh, we've had a lot of good feedback from the fans about the show. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of cool topics, a lot of cool things that have been going on. Um, we, uh, we recently actually launched our, uh, our website. Yeah, we're getting, uh, more and more legit now. You can go to our website for those that are listening that don't want to be on Facebook. You can watch, uh, watch the show on nomexeffect.com. All the past episodes, uh, even the videos are on there. There's a link to SoundCloud, iTunes. Go on there and buy some merch. Yep, got the store going. Uh, we actually had a, we had a couple. We just got it launched uh, just the other day, and we've got a, uh, we had a few emails. So people have been buying the cool merchandise. We'll, uh, we'll get that out as soon as we possibly can. Um, obviously, in, be, in between races, do the best job that we can. Get yeah, it's kind of tough having four in a row. It is, it is. Uh, but you know, I, I, I really like, I like having the four in a rows because I think that you as a driver you, the mentality that you get in it's whether you have a good race you're able to carry the momentum but whether you have a bad race you're able to kind of brush that off and get right back out to the racetrack so i i think that uh the, I, I like the four in a row yes it can be hectic yeah the the crew guys they got a they got a lot more work to do but i think uh i think as a driver i, I think it kind of keeps you in that zone yeah i mean i'm all for having four in a row as a driver i'd like to have 10 in a row as a driver i just meant as far as doing our show and the logistics of that and yeah getting the website up and going and selling t-shirts and hats it gets a little complicated then yeah yeah it does but uh but we do it we we love to uh we love to give the fans an opportunity to have a voice uh obviously we love what we do the passion's there uh we do this because this is what we're born into doing uh we've done it our whole lives but having the show, it gives the fans an opportunity to voice an opinion. And uh, we're just here trying to be the voice in, in the middle, give you guys the topics to talk about during the week. On a Wednesday afternoon when you guys are at lunch, uh, be able to have these topics of conversation. So what we try to do is we – obviously at the racetrack, we're kind of in our own zone driving the race cars. But during the week, bring up these topics, bring up – the goods and the bads of the sport, but either way, it gives people an opinion. It gives people an opportunity to talk about what they like, what they don't like, ways we can improve, uh, things that we can progress on. Um, but it's also just like we were talking earlier, it's the opportunity for people to create an opinion, whether it's a good opinion or a bad opinion. Everybody's got one, and it gives people an opportunity to pay attention, to watch, to get an opinion, and to talk about it. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's one of the main reasons that we started this show, right? Was to relay to the fans things that uh, aren't coming across to the TV show or NHRA's website, things like that. Not getting through th during interviews. At least we can 
relay what's going on or what we think's going on and have our opinion and you guys can have your opinion and it creates a, a cool discussion we don't want our sport to be boring that way i mean you're gonna lose ratings if if it's pretty vanilla but also people people might take it as you know well you guys are bitching and moaning about everything or pointing out all the negatives of the sport like no that's not really what's going on but if there are some things that we don't agree with like we're going to speak up about it yeah but uh, that it like i said it it's uh you know we do a lot of um at the racetrack uh time out at the rope signing autographs for the fans so obviously we talk a lot with the fans about um the races and and you know obviously everybody's out there because we we love drag racing and uh, we want to see the sport progress. We want to see take that sport to the next level, where um, you know not only are we out there doing what we, what we love to do, but we're putting on a good show for the fans. We're giving the fans uh, what they pay, giving their money's worth. Um, and and I think that uh, you know I think that we've seen some good racing. We've seen some good side by side racing. Um, I think that you know obviously a, a big topic's been uh, the difference in the track prep lately, but um, it's not something that you know, we definitely uh, want to dwell on, but I think it's definitely a heavily uh, discussed thing amongst the fans. It's something that the fans always come up to us at the ropes, and they're always talking about and what's different about it and how it affects the teams, how it affects the cars, how it affects us driving the cars. Um, so, you know, we, we want to talk about that. We want to – what you guys are interested in, that's what we want to talk about. So – you know, another thing that we do is uh, send in your questions. Obviously, send in your questions now. Send in your questions. Go to our website. Um, even if it's, you know, not on, on a day that we have the show, you send in the questions. We'll get to it on the next show. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this track prep deal, it's like almost like beating a dead horse at this point. How many races into it are we now? Six, seven? Yeah, six or seven, yeah. And – it hasn't changed, and it most likely isn't going to change anytime soon. Do we want it to change? Like, Yeah, we'd like for it to get a little better. I, what I want for is is the track prep to be compensated for the tracks that we go to that need it. Like, Not, not every track's the same. I have, there's two lanes. They look flat, but every racetrack's different. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we saw some, some big differences uh, just from going to Virginia – over to uh, Bristol, but yeah, a lot of tracks, uh, a lot of things that's not really seen on TV is uh, the characteristics of every track that we go to. Um, there's some tracks that have wider grooves than others. There's some tracks that have a very narrow groove. Uh, there's some tracks that will be crowned, uh, which uh, will be sloped off towards the wall, so it'll try to drive Drain you the water off. Yeah, exactly, and it'll try to drive you towards the wall. Some tracks will kind of try to suck you in towards the center line. Um, so it's it's a constant, um, I say battle, but not really, but constant battle uh, for the the drivers, for the crew chiefs, for the track guys, um, to where we're constantly going to every track. Uh, they go in early. I mean, one thing that we were talking about earlier is the involvement with TRD that's come in uh, with our race team. Um, I mean, we have guys dedicated to the track. That's all they do all day long. They're out there on the track giving us track temperatures, projected track temperatures, um, you know, where every bump, nook, and cranny is on that racetrack. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, without their involvement with uh, JP and Chad Head, who uh, works with them hand-in-hand, hand, I mean, we definitely, I don't think, would be having the type of success that we're having now just because of the information that they're giving us with, uh, with the racetrack. I mean, Chad is out there working a machine that's provided – 
from TRD, right? Mm -hmm. That I mean, they can tell us every bump on the track, where they're at, if the track's crowned. There, I mean, all these little things are helping us drive the cars because we know where we need to be in the groove, which side of the groove, and this and that, and uh, it means a lot to us. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of things that uh, just behind the scenes that go on, um, like talking about the characteristics of the track is, uh, you know, there will be times where we may do our burnout on the inside of the lane and then we'll end up running on the outside of the lane. But it's kind of up to you as a driver knowing that you're starting on the outside of the lane. And if you progress going in a straight line on the outside of the lane, that uh, you're eventually going to run out of real estate and probably be driving out of the groove. So these are things that we work on as drivers um, for each track that we go to of, you know, if say for instance, if you're starting on the outside of the lane that you have to be back in the center of the lane uh, by a certain part of the track. So this is where TRD and, and with JP and Chad, where this really comes into hand is because they're out there with grip meters and, and knowing uh, where, the track is potentially better or worse, or if there's potential bumps in certain areas of the track to where you have to say, there's certain tracks where they'll say, hey, we're gonna start you on the outside of the lane. You have to be back in the center by 100 feet. There may be some tracks that it's a little bit more forgiving to where you can eventually kind of gradually get it back in by two or 300 feet. So it's a constant uh, work in progress of, of different things uh, that we're trying to do um, to, you know, obviously, you with how narrow some of the grooves are and with the lack, the lack of trap prep, track prep that we have right now and the hotter temperatures, it's very, very critical to be in the perfect spot in the lane. Yeah. And with the, the track prep deal that's been going on, like my biggest complaint is I just want, want the groove to be wider. I feel like it doesn't need to be as narrow as it is. And that's kind of by product of them. Like that's initially like where they're working the groove and in time cars start trying to stay in that area and a, a groove gets built up there and then as the weekend goes on you talk about where we line up a lot of that has to deal with say the sportsman cars or the pro stock cars or even the fuel cars they'll peel up rubber off the starting line creating bald spots and that kind of dictates where we do the burnout and line up i mean there's times you might be a half a car to the inside or the outside of the groove and then chad comes in like hey man you got to let it go and then it'll pull you back over which it's hard to tell yourself that in a funny car. Like, don't steer it, but you got to steer it a little bit. Yeah, and that's that's one thing through time that uh, that I've learned is, you know, there's times that you'll look down the track and the, the groove will be straight down the track, and then there's some times where the groove will actually maybe run a little bit to the inside. So it's just, a, a, I guess, a common thing that you would just think that you drive towards where the groove is. Well, the reason why the groove is that way is because the lane may suck you in to the the inside of the lane so you you could almost just hold the wheel straight and it'll eventually bring you back into that groove but if you're steering it over before that and then it starts to pull you in then all of a sudden you're going to find yourself completely to the inside of the groove potentially up against either the wall or the center line yeah and one one place we did not have to worry about any of this i feel like was richmond richmond was awesome that place was like a sheet of glass yes and i was so glad to go back um, I know you'd raced there a couple times, I believe. And, uh, my first year was 2009. That was the only time that I raced there. Uh, but going there was, was awesome, man. Like just the, the fans were badass. It was packed all three days. Yeah. And, and they were so excited, enthusiastic. Uh, 
I mean, I know that a lot of them were up there talking about betting in the grandstands, betting on the racers, and uh, had a couple of them come over to me and high-five me because I won them a little bit of money. And uh, But it's just, you know, that, that enthusiasm that you get from the fan base there is awesome. And, and the amount of work that they went into uh, getting that track as nice as it was, I mean, just a, a complete awesome job by that, that staff there. I can't wait to go back next year. Yeah, I just wish we went there later in the year and could really utilize the track and throw it down because it's definitely uh, the nicest surface that we've raced on all season long. It's, uh, I think, a quarter mile of concrete. And for those uh, track owners or looking to build a track or you know anything like that, I get with Tommy Franklin and everybody there at Virginia Motorsports Park because they did it right. And uh, I, I, the fans... That's one of the few places where they come up and thank you for being there, which that, that you know, makes you feel welcome and you're excited, you know. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, you know, we get that quite a bit throughout the year. I know another track that's really like that is uh, when we go up into Epping, um, but yeah, like I, I really think that if we went to uh, Virginia Motorsports Park at the end of the year, where you had uh, cooler conditions, because cool. the air is really good there. You're able to make a lot of power, crazy power. The, the barometer's awesome there. The density altitude's great. It's a little bit of a dry atmosphere. It was a little warm and humid when we were there. Yeah. But with that track surface and you get to uh, where you have cooler conditions, I have no no question that every record would be in jeopardy. Yeah, I, I, would, I think it's almost safe to say like that would be the quickest and fastest track on the tour by far. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so we just got to say thank you, guys. We thoroughly enjoyed going there. Uh, we were excited to come back. We cannot wait for next year. Um, if you guys have an opportunity for a schedule change, <laughs> put it in the countdown because I bet you you'd have some badass racing in the countdown there. Yeah, and that's another topic is, uh, you know, heading to Norwalk uh, this weekend. They also uh, resurfaced their track. So I'm I'm really excited to get there to see, um, you know how how smooth that is. I've heard some good reviews from uh, from a lot of sportsman racers that that have raced there. Um, so you know that's another track that you get to cooler conditions. I know it's going to be hot, um, but Friday night session could be really good. Yeah, and I haven't looked at the schedule to see what time we run yet, but usually it's two late sessions there, which. That means Funny Car will get one dedicated night session if that's the case, and we could uh, definitely have a chance to throw down. But do I think it'll be as good as Richmond? Who knows? Because usually the air is not as good in Norwalk as it is in Richmond, but it could Correct. be. Yeah, no, and I mean, the the good thing about Norwalk is even if you have a bad weekend, you can still get the one dollar ice cream, yeah, a pound of ice cream, yeah, for a dollar, for a dollar, and they have some badass fireworks. Yeah, they do actually put on a really good show. Uh, typically, what is that Friday night they do that? I think so. Yeah, so the, you know it's it's a the Bader family does a great job uh, promoting their track, promoting the sport. Um, I mean that's another track the, the fan base is awesome. That I mean it's it's always packed there. I mean it, it, and we can tell a difference. It's because when we're uh, not only on the starting line, but a lot of times you're you're kind of in a different zone when you're on the starting line, so you're not necessarily looking up at the grandstands and admiring it all. Sometimes you do, but majority of the time it's when we're trying to get back to the track and or uh, uh, get back to our pit area, 
after a run, and it's just there's just a sea of people in the pits. Right. Yeah, and I don't know. To me, the the similarities between Richmond and Norwalk is the people that that run those facilities are passionate about the racetrack and the sport, and do a good job promoting those races, and that's why they get the attendance that they do. Yeah, absolutely. I know another great track that does that. Uh, Vandermeer's. Vandermeer, absolutely. They they do a great job. That that track's always packed. I mean, the the stands are always. Uh, you see a lot of a lot of people standing, and that's only because there's no seats left. Right. Yeah, they uh, they are definitely passionate about racing, and you know they know a lot about prepping a racetrack. Also, like they'll go above beyond to make sure like that place is in tip top shape when we get there. I guarantee it. And they have the cooling system, which that place is usually really hot. We saw track temps in Bristol around 140 degrees. And I remember the starting line would be like that in Denver, but not anymore because they got the cooling system under there, which they can kind of dictate, you know, the track temp, which I think is awesome. Yeah, and it definitely helps. I know a lot of these cars, just with the top fuel cars, it's it's getting them off the starting line and, and getting them kind of through the transition uh, 100, 200 feet and, and getting that momentum built up. Um, you know, I think we saw when we were in uh, in Houston, a lot of the cars were running well. It wasn't with big speeds, but um, it was because the starting line area was good and they were able to apply a lot of power um, to where they were able to get the car really accelerating hard. And then, you know, you kind of race first to a certain point on the track. But, um, yeah, so what, what they do in, in Bandemir is completely awesome. It's it, with that whole cooling system. I know it's not cheap to do something like that, but for them to do that, to put on a better show, that uh, just speaks volumes about them. Yeah, and I'm not saying every track needs to be smooth as glass, you know, like flypaper where you're glued in and this and that, because it's cool that each track has a different characteristic. That's where you, like, you might perform better at one track compared to the other, but like last week, like that was uh, that was pretty intense, some of the stuff you had to deal with there. Yeah, it was... Uh, it. It was hot. It was bumpy. Cars were really bumpy. Cars were all over the place. I actually had a run, uh, one of the qualifying runs, where the car actually made a move to the outside uh, fairly early in the run, and I was probably about four or five hundred feet, and I already had my left hand over my right hand, where I was I had almost full input steering into it, and trying to just hold that line, and then the thing hits the bump. My right hand comes off the wheel. And I'm holding on one-handed, trying to get this thing to the finish line. And I remember thinking after I shut the car off, was like, well, that was pretty stupid. <laughs> I don't know. But it's just you're in that race mode where you're not thinking to shut the car off, even though that's the smart play. But luckily, uh, I was able to get it to the finish line. Uh, nothing bad happened. Um, just might have changed my drawers a little bit. But uh, there was definitely a lot of – it was a different style of racing in Bristol last weekend with – the hotter track temperatures and what the crew chiefs were having to do to accommodate it with the different track prep. Um, I think we saw a little bit more side-by-side racing. It wasn't as quick as what we were used to. Yeah, there, there's, it was a little bit of a progression. Um, not really what we're used to. I mean, when you're seeing side-by-side 4.0 dragsters and side-by-side 4.20 right. uh, funny cars, but it was it was still kind of neat to see some of the Mike Salinas made a final round. Right. That's it's always neat to see other guys make, uh, you know, 
guys that aren't typically in the finals. It, it kind of opens it up a little bit, but it's definitely, man, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard for these crew chiefs to make those adjustments. It's hard as a driver to uh, be able to keep that thing in a narrow groove with the, the, the lesser prep, especially when you're going over the bumps and that thing might be drifting one way or the other and you got the wheel cocked. Then it goes over a bump. Well, it's in the air and you're steering and it ain't doing anything. Yeah. Then it might come down and shoot you one way if you got the wheel turned. Like it's, it's like a fine line and it's more of a guessing game than anything I would say. Yeah, I think there there definitely was a, a lot of guessing games out there. Um, I mean, from from the crew chief to the drivers to trying to uh, how you address the lane. Um, I mean, they real. I didn't really see much uh, in the lane choice. Obviously, they're you know every crew chief is going to have their own opinions on which lanes better. A lot of it, I think was how the starting line looked. Um, but I, I felt like you could be, even if you didn't have lane choice, you could be put in the other lane and it wasn't like you were going to lay up any more than what you already were. Right. Like most of the dragsters first round, were going right lane, which I feel like after the first couple, it's usually monkey see monkey do at that point. Correct. And yeah. then we were third pair in funny car and the first, two funny cars with lane choice went right lane. Well, we had not gone down the right lane through qualifying. We went down the left lane both runs. So, Jono and Todd, and then, you know, they get with JP and Chad, like, let's go left. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. So, we go in the left lane, win first round, get out the top end. They're asking, why'd you guys choose a left lane? Well, if we had our choice, we'd probably take the return road. <laughs> but, there, like I said, there's nothing, like, there's no uh, – I won't say there's no difference between the lanes, but there's not an advantage from one or the other. They're kind of equal. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you saw multiple winners out of out of both lanes. And, um, you know, it makes for for good side-by-side racing. Uh, you know, we saw some whole-shot wins, which was, you know, kind of neat to see being able to have, uh, you know, equally prepped lanes for what that's worth to where drivers can can play a role in uh, creating a difference in the outcome of the race. Right, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say there were a lot of pedal fast or anything like that. They were just kind of cars laboring to get down the track just because you have to back them off so much when you're forced with those conditions. I mean, these things are making 11,000 horsepower, and you're definitely not utilizing all of it there. Right, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of, you know, I I guess if you look back the last couple years where the track prep was different, I I think that they were – it was still a hard track to get down Correct. on, on the, you know, per the conditions, um, with having 130 plus degree track temp. So a lot of times you would see dragsters, uh, going mid high three eighties or so you'd see funny cars going, uh, uh, you know, probably in like the low four Oh range around that. So, you know, with the differences, you may lose a 10th to a 10th and a half on the ET side of things. Um, but I mean, regardless, man, we just, it's awesome to see side by side racing. That's what the sport's about. Regardless of, I mean, as a driver, you want to go fast though. It, it's it's hard to kind of accept like, Hey, you know, we know what the capabilities of these cars are, are doing. Um, obviously there's some safety restrictions that, that we have to abide by. Um, you don't necessarily want to go blasting back to quarter mile going 360 miles an hour, but uh, you know, the opportunities there for, you know, so many years where it's building horsepower and it's trying to make these cars quicker and faster to where the mentality is completely 180 to where it's yeah. get the cars down the track. That's 
kind of the issue I have is we're advertising and promoting the world's quickest and fastest cars, you know, the fastest cars in the world. But now we're trying to reel them back to where they might not be the fastest cars in the world. It's just, I don't know, it's kind of frustrating. I think in the end, hopefully by the end of the year, we're talking about how they got it all worked out. And yeah, and I, and I think even on the same progression, because like you go to Chicago and Friday night, uh, a Torrance threw down. Yeah, and it, but that's per the, the cooler track conditions. But regardless, it's tough on a 130 degree track. Um, I think that uh, towards the end of the year, if you start seeing cooler track conditions, you're definitely going to see those quicker times. Right. Um, but one issue, another issue I have, I keep saying one issue, but with the conditions that we're dealt with now, there's maybe one car in both classes that is performing better than everybody else. And then when you go to somebody saying like, hey, like, not happy with how things are going like well this person hasn't figured out well yeah they do but maybe these conditions kind of play into their hand as well yeah and i and i think we saw uh we've seen a lot of that throughout the years is you'll have um some guys that just you have tracks that kind of come to your tune-up right so you'll have guys that they're able uh to throw down in the cooler conditions um but then they go to the summer tracks and then they struggle because their cars, it can't accommodate that 120, 130 degree racetrack. I think we're, we saw a little bit of that with, uh, with Clay Milliken this year. Um, every time we get into a good session on a Friday night session, he was blasting off great runs. And then as the track conditions got warmer, um, they struggled a little bit. But that's something that I know that, you know, Grubby's obviously done a great job and uh, Clay's done a great job with. Uh, where they've turned their car around this year is really trying to um, focus on getting that hotter race tune-up. They know they can throw down, but right. it's making those changes to get that hotter track set up. Yeah, and that's kind of like I heard, you know, Jono and Todd talking this past weekend. It's like, hey, like, there's no sense in complaining about this stuff anymore. We just, we're dealing with it, and now we got to, like, figure out how to make it work. So I think more and more guys are going into that boat. And you're seeing – Cars go down the track now. Like you said, they're making side by side runs, just probably not what everybody wants to see. But eventually, you'll uh, you'll learn to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, it, and it, you know, there's some cool things. I mean, obviously, you got you know, Steve Torrance has done a, a great job this year. He's he's got a pretty good lead. Courtney's done a great job this year. She's got a pretty good lead. But you really kind of see. I mean, it's there's a lot of close battles going on in the points, um, you know, just where they're, they're grouped together. You're not, yeah, those guys have, have been the, the exception where they've really uh, excelled in these conditions. But I think, you know, Tony winning last weekend um, and then, uh, uh, you know, seeing Mike Salinas go to the final round as well. Um, you know, Ron Caps, Ron Caps is back. He's, he's driving good. He's driving like a machine last weekend, killing the tree. Right. You know, Tobler's doing a good job with, with their tune-up as well. But uh, this is kind of the time of the year where you, you kind of start to transition your mentality of, okay, like we need to figure this out. We need to test a little bit into we need to kind of start really getting our tune-ups confined to where we have a good handle on it. And because we're, we got 
what we have Norwalk this weekend, then we go to Epping, and then it's a Western Swing. But really, once you get to the Western Swing, you don't really have many opportunities to go out there and test. No, I feel like now people start maybe testing at Brainerd to get ready for Indy. Right. And then after Indy, like it's game on after that. Yeah, because you get into the countdown. So you start to look at, um, you know, there's there's a pretty tight battle going right now in, in the funny car class. Yeah, you're uh, a part of it. Yeah. and uh, But you look at like the eighth spot to the 13th spot, you know, Cruz Pedregon, John Forrest, and Bob Tasca and I, and uh, Yanni Lindbergh and, and Tim Wilkerson. And there's some pretty good pretty good cars and some big names that are just battling for that 10 spot that I like to see, uh, you know, I think it's pretty cool that you don't just have the guys battling for first, but you can make a story out of just trying to get some top quality cars into the top 10. Yeah. I mean, all of those cars are capable of going out and winning, you know, each week. And now it's kind of evened it up to where they're, it's more in their favor to go out and, and win those races because the guys that win the, races when it's throwdown conditions they uh they've kind of fallen fallen back into all of our hands i would say except other than courtney like she has a big lead now which i'm okay with that we still have a chance to move up to second if we can you know be successful throughout the western swing and, and what have you but uh once the countdown starts and the points reset like we'll see you know who's good and who's not then yeah i mean you look at where you're at you're fourth in the points and two rounds behind beckman um in, in second place, but I mean, between uh, Beckman and Height, you and Caps and Hagen, I mean, there's it, what's kind of neat is having multiple drivers grouped together like that, where it's you have a couple good races, you move right on up, you have a couple bad races, well, then the pressure starts to get on you. Right. I think that's why, you know, Courtney's been so successful is like she goes out there and throws down in qualifying, and then, you know, allows herself to not they can make a mistake first round generally and get away with it like somebody's not picked them off to where everybody behind there like they got some first round losses in there yeah and i think you if you look at a lot of times how the ladders are set um you never have an easy draw right but you you have a lot of times when you're qualified in the the six to eleven range uh with you know having real realistically you know 12, 13 top running teams that, that run the circuit throughout the year in the funny car class. Uh, the, when you qualify in that six to 11 range, you got four really tough rounds of racing. Yep. And you, you may have a draw first round where, you know, you could potentially get one of the guys that may have missed the, the Friday night session. I think right now the Friday night session is probably the most critical session there is um, for your qualifying order that probably sets at least the top eight for Sunday generally uh, for lane choice. So, you know, it's right now it's really critical to make a good run on Q1 to where you can get towards the back of the pack for Q2 to be able to make that good run Q2 to get lane choice on Sunday. Right. Yeah. I think this past Saturday in Bristol, there was only one car that improved on their qualifying spot. Now is Hagen. And I'm not sure if he qualified in the top half or not. Yeah, well, uh, I believe he, he actually – I was ninth, and then he bumped me back to 10th, okay. so he ended up number nine. So, yeah, like it's – like you said, a Friday night run, that's more and more crucial as the summer – as we get deeper into the summer for sure. Yeah, and then typically on Saturday, it's – you know, you're 
in the afternoon. So it's a little bit of the hotter conditions. So you won't be able to run as well. But a lot of times that kind of goes into the little bit of testing mode for some of the crew chiefs uh, to also maybe test something or to maybe uh, work on your tune-up for, for Sunday. For Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's where I'm not a huge fan of the two late sessions, you know, Friday and Saturday. Because at least if you make a good run Friday, which you should, you can work on your race day setup on Saturday to where Chicago, we had two late runs. And then you go right in the first round, 11 o'clock Sunday. Like, we haven't run that all day in this, you know, the past two days in the sun. So it's kind of a crapshoot. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's definitely a lot of times it, it, it becomes a little bit of a guessing game of how hard do you really want to push? I mean, you, if you, like I said, you're, you're in the middle of the pack, you get a really tough draw first round. You, you know that the, the cars, uh, that are qualified towards the bottom are obviously going to be pushing to run faster. So you're as a faster car, you're a little bit in that mode of, do I try to push my car as well? Do I lay up a little bit? Do you know, how hard do I want to really push this? You know, obviously there's some tracks that both lanes are, are pretty equal, but there's some tracks where there may be one lane that's better than the other. Well, yeah, like even if you're at a track, to, let's say Richmond, where both lanes are equal, to me, like you still want lane choice no matter what because you don't know if somebody's going to go out there and murder a lane on Sunday and they can't get it cleaned up because they don't have time to scrape it or, or something like that. You know, Well, then it is a one-lane track and you, you want lane choice. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's always nice to have that option um, on Sundays is is be able to you kind of control your destiny maybe a little bit more where you can uh, you know pick and choose what you want. But going in, in, into the countdown and 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 how the points are, I I think you you see we've seen this a lot of times is you see a lot of the uh, a lot of the years you 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 always have like that one car that seems to kind of separate themselves from the field a little bit and they run good in the season, but it's not necessarily always the case when they go to the countdown. Right. I feel like the last two or three years, it's been that way, especially in the funny car class. I remember uh, the year that Dell won, like Beckman was wearing them out before the countdown. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, seemed like Dell and those guys, Jono and Nikki, they got it figured out around Indy and what have you, then went on a tear during the countdown. Then uh, last year, like, Caps was wearing everybody out throughout the summer. Right, right. Then, then Robert, you know, got it going at the right time. But those guys are still good in the countdown. It's just they're not wearing everybody out like they were earlier in the year. Yeah, because, I mean, when you get to a point where you're you have six races – Losing one, or you don't really have many opportunities no. for mistakes. So, losing, uh, you know, if if you're down six to ten in the points, and you go to the first race of the countdown, and you lose first round, I mean, you're not only the eighty points behind that you started, but now it really puts you in a hole where if one of the top guys win, now you're a hundred forty, hundred fifty points potentially behind these guys to where. Now you only have five races to make up. Yeah, if you're at the bottom of the list, like you almost have to go into Charlotte winning the race to even have a chance. Right, and we've seen that opportunity for, for a couple drivers, uh, you know, which is always creates for a great story of you know where they, they started, barely got into a countdown or what have you, and then they were able to make a good run 
uh, in the countdown to make a good run at that that championship run at the last couple of races. Yeah, I mean that's what's designed to do. It's just it's tough when you're at the bottom though. I mean, it, it only takes that one first round hiccup to like to end it for you right there. And and you need help from the guys in front of you as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I know this is always like an interesting topic, and especially when it comes down towards the the countdown time, but with how everything's structured, um, you know, I, I know that how they used to have it was uh, where they they ran a couple races and then they cut it down again right. and then they cut it down again. And, you know, I'd be curious to see kind of – I didn't race in that time of when they did that, but – The first year they did it. Right. I'd be kind of curious to see um, just a, a, a different playoff format of maybe breaking it down a couple more races that's i would kind of like to see that as well i mean that's basically what nascar has gone to and if you break it if you cut it off like that then maybe there's some kind of reward more reward for winning a race or number one qualifier just some kind of bonus system i think right where i guess it would give the guy if he went out and won the race from 10th, maybe it'd move him up further than it initially would if he had some kind of bonus program to get him to that next cutoff point. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, uh, I don't know, there's so many different ways uh, of doing it, and I, and I think that you know a lot of the fans have great um, ideas on that as well, just of different ways, um, you know, maybe doing something dur- during the year where you, uh, if you win a race, or you know, have some to- some sort of uh, additional countdown bonus points. Um, Bring back the national record. Yeah, that that'd be awesome. Although that that'd be pretty tough to. Yeah, nowadays it's pretty much impossible. But yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty tough to get now. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's you look at the, I guess the last couple of years, um, you know, it, it has gone down to Pomona. Which is always exciting. I mean, it's when you're in that in in those situations, it's uh, it's like a whole new level of nervous and and energy that you have. Um, but I think it's always kind of a little bit like that heading into uh, indie, where it's like last year, you know, fighting to get into the top ten, right? Where you kind of have that, you know, it's the make or break rounds, and I think uh, those are the cool rounds that you really see a lot of these uh, drivers that have a lot of runs under their belt that know how to handle that, that kind of pressure. Um, it's like the same thing, like racing in the final in Indy, man. Like that's, you know what kind of pressure that is. Yeah, yeah. it's like everything's on the line right here. Like don't screw it up. Yeah. I remember watching uh, the DHL guys when they won the championship. I, it was uh, They had to run uh, Beckman in second round of the semifinals. Like that was the championship right there. Yeah, like it's all on the line right here. That is that that has to be like the coolest feeling ever. I was like, I was acting like I won the race. I was so pumped for him. <laughs> you know, like that was awesome. Yeah, and I, those those are the moments that like really define a lot of the drivers. Um, but it's it's awesome to see a lot of the drivers how they excel through those and how they're able to uh, get get that energy that they get from. Uh, their crew and their sponsors and everybody that's up there and everything that you've worked for. And it's all, it's all coming down to one hit of the throttle. Yeah, exactly. Like you, 
right. All it takes is like for you to miss the tree by a few hundreds or whatever, and that that can easily happen. That could be the the end of your championship run. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we got coming up. Uh, we got Norwalk this weekend, then then we do a little uh, road trip into New York. Yeah, I'm kind of pumped about that. It's something that we did last year when we went from uh, what was it, English Town to Epping? Yeah, yeah. So we stayed out, went to. Uh, or was it? No, it was Epping to English Town. So we flew down to uh, New York and stayed in Manhattan for three or four nights, and then went to uh, English Town. So we decided we're going to do that again this year, minus English Town. Yeah, and uh, but it's it's always neat. Like uh, as much as we do like with the traveling and going to the races and stuff, it's always neat to be able to have opportunities like that to go into the cities and to see the the different cities and, and experience it. And obviously, New York's kind of its its right. own. Um, so yeah, so we enjoy it. So yeah, we're, we're going to head down there for a couple of days and then go up to Epping. Epping's obviously a, a, a really cool track. I enjoyed it. They got some awesome golf courses up there. I like going up there a little bit early, go play some golf. Got some good lobster. Good lobster. Yep. Absolutely. If you like seafood. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's another track that we were talking about. Like the fans are awesome there, man. They, they come in and they're just they come in early. They come in to watch a sportsman cars there. Right. Yeah, it's packed when you get there in the morning. You're like, what are all these people doing here already? We don't run for another five or six hours. Yeah, yeah. So, love going there. And then we go to the Western Swing. Yeah, as a crew guy, I feel like the Western Swing is almost the time of the year that you dread. But for me, like, I love it just because Denver is one of the most unique tracks that we go to, how it's carved into the mountain like that. It's uh, Denver itself, just a city, is an awesome city. Then the, the racetrack presents a challenge because, I mean, you're a mile in the air. It's hard to uh, make power up there. But uh, I like going there. I like the, uh, the Bandemir family, the Chris boys. Like, they're, uh, they're a fun group to be around. Then we go to Sonoma, which is probably one of my favorite tracks on the tour. I mean, that place, the staff there, like, they treat you like family. Like, they go out of their way to, uh, to make sure that you feel like you're at home. Yeah, yeah, Sonoma's one of one of my favorite tracks. I I really enjoy going there as well. Um, like the, just the scenery and the hills. And, yeah. Um, and it's a good racetrack, fast racetrack. Uh, you make good power there. Um, but it's always kind of you know that like what we were just talking about is you know after the Sonoma race we'll go do the wine tours, check out all the wineries. Right. Yeah, that's one of those races. Like you just. Or that time of the year, you just don't plan on coming home. Like you stay out in between Sonoma and Seattle because you want to go experience some things that you can't do anywhere else in the country. Like go to the wineries in Sonoma, or go to uh, go to Seattle and, and take in the city like that a day or two early. It's just uh, it's a cool part of the season and uh, one you got to take advantage of. Yeah, for sure. And it's and also for me to me, it's kind of relaxing when you get to stay out and do some vacation type things like that. Yeah, you're not in a hustle. To- get to the airport and right get back and forth and all that but yeah i, I definitely like the i like getting into that count uh, into the well the western swing leading into the countdown because that's really kind of the time of year you kind of see a lot of personality shift of just where you're out racing and and it's kind of a week-to-week race and then it's really like where you start seeing a lot more people get a lot more focused. Right, people start tensing up more and more. And you start seeing a lot of lot more emotion out of the drivers and out of the crew chiefs where it's a lot more is on the line. 
people are getting pretty fired up when they win. People are getting pretty dejected when they lose. Um, but it's it's seeing that energy, it's seeing the the, the passion and uh, really come out of the drivers. Absolutely, yeah, because you know usually by the end of the Western Swing where you're at in points and if where you're going to be after Indy generally. So, yeah, like you know, hey, I need to go out and maybe win here or win Brainerd or we're in a no-lose situation going into Indy. It's just uh, it gets people all uh, – all tensed up and focused and ready to rise to the occasion. Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes for good racing, that's for sure. Yeah, I definitely think so. So you did some uh, sportsman racing in Bristol. Kind of. I mean, better than you did in Charlotte. Yeah. Well, it wasn't even your car, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, see, I, I, I really enjoy driving two cars, having the opportunity to drive two cars. I. I mean, something that we had talked about last week is I think uh, going out racing super comp, getting out there earlier in the morning, um, just getting your focus and mentality of uh, not not waiting till the end of the day to make a run. But I, I really enjoy running two cars um, where I, I think it, it kind of in, increases my focus where um, I'm not so focused on just – one particular thing i'm able to work around a couple of different cars do different things uh keep your mind off of uh from overthinking anything right um so i i i and i think going to like in the bracket race the same thing you're just constantly making laps and making runs even though in the super comp class uh you know going 180 miles an hour it's not really anything like driving a funny car but it's it's still racing it's getting laps um you know, getting hits at the tree, uh, which I did not do third round. I was uh, terrible. I was, <laughs> I, I, I flinched on the tree, was 90 on the tree, um, made a, just a bad run. And it, but I'll tell you what, I was so mad about that Saturday night that I did that, that Sunday, Sunday morning, I was up at 530 in the morning <laughs> because I was, I was not, I was still pissed about that run and i was still mad but i just i woke up i, w- I would have been ready to race first round at 6 a.m uh, yeah i mean that's probably a good thing like something like that motivates you to do better the next day in the other car yeah and I, and i think that uh racing man super comp is such a tough class it's some of the best i, I think some of the best drivers are in that class there's it, it's crazy how good these guys are on the tree. I mean, they're, they're setting up double O on the tree. So it, it brings a whole different element in there of consistency and uh, doing the same thing, repetition every single time, staging right, staging shallow, uh, you know, understanding the car, understanding the setup, understanding the track, understanding the weather, making the changes to your throttle stop. I know a lot of the fans don't really like to watch that class. Um, they don't really understand it. But right. I mean, some of the most intense racing comes from classes like that. Absolutely, yeah. You're talking, you know, thousands of a second every pair down the track. Right. Every pair, side by side, racing for thousands of a second. I mean, you, you got guys taking a couple thousand at the, at the finish line, going 180 miles an hour, being able to judge three inches at the finish line. And that's another thing. It's almost like a guessing game, right? Like, you got to have trust in yourself that you hit the tree as best as you could. 
that your car is going to run what you think it is, and should you get there ahead of the guy or let him get there too quick? Right. So a lot of it is on on your your setup and where you feel the setup on the car is. Um, index racing is is some awesome racing. Uh, yeah, I know we're we're trying to get you to come out to do some bracket racing with us this year. Well, yeah, like not when you talk about there's a five hundred thousand dollar bracket race to win next year, like that got my attention. Yeah, I mean it's these a lot of these promoters are doing an awesome job creating these big money races. Five hundred thousand dollars to win. Uh, I know there's some races coming up. Uh, SFG's putting on that uh, in Martin, Michigan, where it's uh, fifty thousand to win on a Friday, one hundred twenty-five thousand to win on Saturday, fifty thousand to win on Sunday. I mean, this is you're talking big, big money. Uh, that that changes people people's lives, you know. Eh. Right. Uh, okay. So, for instance, this race that is talk, but it's definitely going to happen. What What's the entry fee for something like that? Um, so I, I believe for the uh, they opened it up for the five hundred thousand to win um, is I believe it starts at eleven hundred and then it kind of works its way up. Um, obviously, you know they're they're wanting to get the entries in so they can uh, get the car counts. Um, but you know the they have like the the million dollar race down in Montgomery. They have the Spring Fling Million. And those are two thousand dollars to enter, um, but you're getting three hundred plus cars enter for these races, uh, nine rounds to win them. Um, typically, they'll pay out over a quarter million dollars to win these races. Yeah, that's pretty serious. That's a a good sportsman racer. You go pick off a couple wins a year, like make a good living doing that. Absolutely, and I think it's awesome that the these promoters are giving people an opportunity and moving them around across the country to where they're giving everybody an opportunity at, at big money in the race next year is coming up like there'll be multiple races within that weekend right to win a fair amount of money other than the big purse of five hundred thousand to win yeah so the, the kind of the neat thing about a lot of these bracket races is uh when you race these is you get to go out there and you race on friday and they have buybacks. If you lose first round, you're able to buy back into the race. And a lot of times what the buyback does is it helps a promoter be able to put on the race to pay these big payouts. Um, so that way you're not just creating a big entry fee for everybody. So by giving an opportunity, if you have a, you know, car breaks first round, well, you have an opportunity to go fix it. And right. you're, you're not, you're not hosed for the whole weekend. Right. Because not only do you have an opportunity to get back into that race on Friday, but you have a whole different race on Saturday and a whole different race on Sunday. So if you're potentially double entered, you have two chances every day to win and opportunities if you did lose in, in the first round to where you you can continue on by buying back. So what you're saying is I need to save up some money, get with you and Bones, and enter some cars. Yeah. All right, because I, I mean, I saw your guys at Stable. You got about four or five cars down there. Yeah. All capable of winning. Yeah, I mean, it gives you an opportunity. I mean, it, just tell I'm going to tell you this. If you get a car, don't think you're going to have an off weekend. <laughs> That's the problem. Sometimes I like having an off weekend. Like, 
going and seeing Chad Head hanging out at the lake on his pontoon boat. That's that, fun. That that was a lot of fun. We did do that <laughs> last year. But, I mean, with all the bracket races going on across the country, I don't have an off weekend until Thanksgiving. Yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming from because you start ripping off wins at those things. It, it's, it's pretty good living. It, you can win more over a course of time than what you would – Obviously, at, the, at our races. Obviously, there's always the risk. I mean, right? You know, you you always have the risk of breaking a motor or or what have you. I've seen that. Uh, yeah, so did I. <laughs> uh, first qualifying run in Charlotte and Supercomp, but it's it's part of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, and the neat thing about a lot of these companies is, uh, they really help out these sportsman racers. It's awesome to see. Um, a lot just different companies throughout i mean from top to bottom um the the amount that they give back to the racing community to help the sportsman racers by creating these contingency programs or um doing a lot of giveaways at a lot of these bracket races uh these companies want want to utilize this stuff and a lot of what a lot of these bracket racers have done and what a lot of these uh, promoters have done is put this all together to where they create best losing packages or random drawings or giveaways to where they're giving out product from all of these companies. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's what uh, draws in those guys because they're the ones that support these tracks that you know we have all across the country and keep them going. Like that's what I want to know. Why don't we have more of these big money bracket races, say like in this area? Which I mean. I guess Bowling Green isn't terribly far from here, but it seems like either you got to go there or Michigan, maybe. To... Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's. I think right now the hot spot for a lot of uh, the bracket racing is kind of like down like the southeast, um, but I think it's starting to kind of expand as more racers support it, um, and and getting the car counts at these races, uh, the promoters will put on the race, right? Um, and and as long as they're getting the attendance, but we've seen some of these races have five to 600 cars all entered in the same class racing against each other, which makes for crazy long days, right? Start qualifying at eight in the morning. You end up finishing up around two or three in the morning, but it's, it's an endurance race, but man, it's awesome. Yeah. I don't know if I could stay up for a lot. You need an energy drink sponsor for that. Yeah. Like how, I mean, okay. So like when you're doing that and you get up at eight or nine to make your one time hit, and then you got first round. What say like ten or eleven o'clock? Like, does your adrenaline or anything like stay up like you would like in your fuel car like on a Sunday when you got four rounds of competition? Or you just kind of stay like even keel the whole time? Yeah, I I think with the bracket racing, it's it is staying a little bit more even keel. Um, I mean. I, you know, if you put heart rate monitors on us, I definitely think that you would see, you know, pretty low. And then when we go make a run, yeah, they're spiking. But I think, uh, yeah, a lot of it is, uh, you know, you could start to see a little bit of variance. I think, you know, we've talked about this. Actually, we talked about this on our drive home uh, from Bristol is um, when you're racing and your, your adrenaline spikes up and then it goes down. You have those days that you just kind of feel like you got to pump yourself up to get a good reaction time. And then there's those days that you may be first pair in dragster and the national anthems playing 
and it's like you can just feel your heart beating through your chest and you're trying to take deep breaths to calm yourself down right i mean which is that that is probably one of the coolest things you, you know from driving the dragster but being first pair man that is a awesome deal national anthem playing yep and it's just you see the guy coming down with the flag everybody's standing up in the grandstands that is i i feel like yeah you're kind of like you're kind of setting a tone for the day yeah it's that is one of the coolest things to ever experience as a driver yeah i agree with you there should we uh should we answer some questions yeah see what we got here does connie give you much advice during the race weekend honestly like he's so busy and involved with uh with richie crampton's car that you know i'll go over there and say hello or see how things are going but like i don't think people realize like how dedicated he is to that car and how much he's involved with it you know as far as calling the tune up and what have you i mean you go over there like he's in front of the computer from the time he gets to the track to the time he leaves basically yeah yeah his his involvement uh i mean with with a lot of the teams it's it's pretty impressive i mean right just watching how the guy works um you know sometimes you talk to him and he has a hard time hearing you sometimes you see him walking around and and he's kind of bracing himself up against the wall but when you talk to him about drag racing this guy man he's so sharp yeah he he gets it he understands it i mean he knows everything about these things i mean obviously he's done it his his whole life but that's what really impressed me when i came over to uh, the Coletta camp last year and working with Connie on that race car is the the detail that he has and how sharp he is with it and yeah there was a lot of times that he would uh, set me down and, and show me things on the race pack and uh, show certain things about the race car to help improve me as a driver and it's all right right yeah it's uh it's amazing like as the technology changes and let's not forget like he's 80 years old like he stays up to date with all that. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty wild. It's awesome to and see. Still winning races. And still winning races, and and still very very involved, heavily involved, not only his race team but with the NHRA. Yeah. On progressing the sport, making it a better sport, uh, making it better for the next generation that's coming up. Right. Yeah. He's uh, he's extremely passionate about our sport and wants uh, wants to see it succeed for sure. All right, we got so Richmond versus Vegas new surface same or is one better than the other? I gotta say Richmond because it's all concrete. I would agree with that. Yeah, I definitely think. I mean, I was very impressed uh, going to Richmond. Not to take away from Vegas because Vegas is is Vegas was good. Yeah, it was smooth. Yeah, it was it was it was really good. Um, so I don't. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say Virginia. But not definitely not to take anything away from Vegas, right? Yeah, and the only thing about Vegas is anytime that you got the transition from concrete to asphalt, it just takes time for the asphalt to take the rubber. Where that you know that asphalt was brand new when we got there, and it's going to take multiple races, you know, a year or two before it, it finally gets enough rubber built up on it to where the asphalt's going to be good enough to hook up on. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. But yeah, both are good. Both 
are the smoothest tracks on the tour right now. Are you guys happy where you are in points right now? I mean, no. <laughs> we moved up a spot this weekend, so I was happy about that. But at the same time, like, I want to win the race. I want to move up even more. And I know you're not happy. Yeah, and it's not to take anything away from the team. I mean, but it's just where, you know, where we're at. Uh, you know, obviously you don't want to be on the outside of the top 10. We actually fell back to 11th. But, um, I mean, that's not to take anything away from where we're at right now. But if you're not first, you're not, you're not ever satisfied. And even if you're first place, you're, you're still not satisfied because you're still trying to, uh, there's always a chance of running is drag racing full circle. So if you go out there and have a couple good races, you know that there's going to be a couple bad races coming. So you're never really as a competitive person, you're never really satisfied because you're either catching up, trying to progress to get better or, you're at the top trying to progress, take it to the next level. Yeah, you want to stay like light years above who's behind you. And leave everybody in the dust. Right. That's how I feel like I want to go out there and dominate. Yeah. People I, ask, you want to win on hole shots? Like, no, I want to leave on them and outrun them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that a lot of the, the race teams and a lot of the drivers all, all say, unless if you're winning 24 races a year. Right. Yeah. Yeah, whenever somebody makes a good run, they interview the crew chief. You never, ever hear the crew chief say, yeah, that's what we were trying to run. Yeah. It, no, that's usually like they want to run like 200s better. Yeah, a, lo a lot of times there's – that's that's the, the cool thing about our sport is there's always room for improvement. So you're constantly challenging yourself. You're constantly challenging the race car, the team, everything to progress to be better. Absolutely. Here's a good one. Who from the sportsman class would you like to see come up to the pro, uh, pro class? That's a good one. Um, to me, somebody like Justin Lamb, I'm, like he could get it done. Justin Lamb is probably one of the absolute best drivers right now. Um, I think – now, I know I, winning both championships last year in stock and super stock um, – and, and, and he made it known that he wasn't going to come out and compete for a championship, that he was just primarily going to run the national events this year. But I think, if I remember correctly, he's been to four national events and won three of them. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so, that's what I'm saying is a lot of a lot of these uh, drivers in, in the sportsman ranks, man, like there are some badass drivers that could drive circles around a lot of us. And, uh, but I think, I think him, I think putting him in like a, a pro stock car. Right. That's what I was thinking. I like, he'd be bad ass at that. I think, um, who I'd like to see come up and, and who I think would do a really good job in a class like funny car. Um, I'm going to say, uh, Sean Bellamir or, and I know Shane Westerfield, Westerfield. he's, he's done, he's done a little bit, uh, working with Del Worsham. But I think that those two drivers um, w would be solid candidates for Rookie of the Year coming out in their first year. But I think uh, I definitely think that those two drivers are, are very worthy of um, racing in top fuel class. Yeah, they're they're driving one of the hardest cars in all of drag racing, alcohol funny car, and those two like you can guarantee that they're gonna leave on whoever they're racing against ninety percent of the time. They drive good, man. Some, yeah. I mean, like I said, Bellamy and Westerfield, they, they crush the tree. Yeah. 
It's impressive watching them. And and they're both. I believe they're both up in the points. I I haven't checked the alcohol funny car points in a while, but yeah, they both drive alcohol funny car right now. They both do a great job. I think it'd be awesome to see guys like that come up. And and plus, those are all old junior drag racers. Right. Yeah. That to me, like that shows what the junior drag racing league does. It definitely prepares the youth to become better racers. And I feel like there's so many uh, racers, probably not bracket races and sportsman racing in the super classes and stock and super stock that come out of junior dragsters that are, are really good racers. Yeah. And I just, and I think that's one thing progressing the sport for the next generation is being able to have more companies involved and to grow the sport and to have more opportunities um, because I think if there, you know, I honestly believe that if there was more rides available, um, I think that you would see a lot more drivers like that, uh, talent-based drivers coming into the sport, um, not necessarily paying their way to get a ride, but right. you, would, you would see a lot of these drivers coming up through the junior drag race, uh, through the sportsman ranks, and then progressing into the top field class. We talked about this on the way to Bristol, like how you know nascar has their feeder series into the cup series and cup drivers starting their own teams to look for those next best guys like you know dale jr when he was driving for hendrix started junior motorsports kind of a feeder series to where like if we could do that like that would be so cool to have either alcohol funny car or an a fuel car or a blown alcohol dragster to be able to like, take somebody that might not have the opportunity to make it to the professional level because they don't come from a, a rich family or they don't know how to market their, themselves or whatever. Just give them that opportunity to showcase their talent and like the higher up teams might, Hey, this, uh, this next big deal right here. Yeah. And I definitely think that if you went off of like a talent thing like that, there's so many talented drivers in the sportsman series that if there was the opportunity, man, they could be fielding 32 car fields. Oh, for sure. I, there, there's like I said, I, it's a lot of it. Unfortunately, goes a, a little bit unnoticed um, in in those sportsman series. But that's one thing that I'm I'm constantly a, a lot of a lot of the fans come to the ropes, you know, saying that about like, oh well, you know, the sportsman series, I don't really get it, and and with the bracket racing and and the the index racing, and but there's there's a lot of just absolutely talented drivers in those classes. That, that deserve a lot of recognition. And I think it, it goes back to where you see a lot of these guys, man, they came up through the junior ranks and they, they went through that national champions through the junior ranks, going up into the sportsman ranks. And uh, there's, there's just, there's, I can't stress that enough how much talent there is in, in the sportsman ranks right now. Yeah. And back to, you know, if, if we could have that team, that feeder team, like I feel like that would also draw good attention to that series if a pro driver could go back and run some of those races as well like say you're double entered you're going to run a fuel and your funny car at a national event or you're going to go to this divisional race on an off weekend like they can help promote that race knowing that you're going to be there driving in that class and that gets sponsors attention also maybe that sponsor will stick to that driver and help move them up to the next level yeah and i think it's kind of cool you know like guys like christopher bell or you know, some guys that we've been able to meet, you know, you, you watch them come up through these feeder systems. And, right. and obviously there's a lot of attention drawn to that. And, uh, you know, we work with a few of these guys, um, you know, through Toyota and, and, and all that. But it's kind of neat to see them uh, come up through the ranks because obviously there's a lot of attention drawn to that. And, and 
uh, Toyota's helped pushing them through the ranks right. and, and, and help paying their, their way to get through as a sponsor. Um, but it's like, you, then you watch these guys go up through the truck series, through the Xfinity series into the NASCAR. And it, it's just, it's an awesome progression to, to watch them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anything else we need to touch on here? We got, oh, we got, uh, Rick says, uh, what's Connie's opinion on the track prep? I don't know, Rick. You got to ask Connie that one. He's not happy. Yeah, I can't say that he's uh, in favor of it. Yeah. The dude, like, his uh, tune-up is not conducive of what's going on right now. <laughs> Connie's tune-up <laughs> is balls to the wall every run. So when he runs Friday night, the track's coming to him. Yeah, he wants to be able to go out there and run 360s whenever possible, and we can't do that right now. <laughs> so there's your answer. <laughs> exactly all or nothing man that that's connie's mentality and you love him for it because when it when it works it, it pays off and you get race wins exactly yeah when he gets rolling like he can't be touched at that given point i mean there's times you'll go out there say uh sonoma where it's hot and nasty and he'll go out there and rip off a run on saturday that might be 500 ahead of the next guy you're like where the hell did that come from yeah and i know yeah you have that i believe in your uh last year driving uh dragsters where like the last couple races, you were just like ripping off runs. I mean that that were kind of untouched. I mean you're three four hundred faster than a lot of people. Right, like he would make his better run like during the day and not on the night run when everybody else is. Like that's a kind of like, well, this, this dude's out of control. Oh yeah, <laughs> I just feel like yeah, like he'll push. He's good about pushing others to uh, to the next level when they when he does stuff like that. But that's why we love him and love driving for him. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, guys. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for today's show. Um, obviously, uh, keep keep back. We're going to keep doing updates. Uh, make sure to check out our, our uh, website, nomexeffect.com. Uh, heading to Norwalk next week, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do a show here, probably do a show here in, the, in the, the next two weeks again for you guys. Keep you guys updated. Make sure to send in your questions. You can go to the website, send in your questions on the website, or um, you can email us at nomexeffect at gmail.com. Uh, make sure to go on, get your merchandise. Where yeah, we finally got a store for you guys to go buy stuff. We uh, got a fantasy deal in the works for the website. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that we've uh, – so we forgot to uh, bring this up on the show is that um, I know we've done it a little bit on Facebook uh with the the fantasy deal but what we want to do is we want to create like a fantasy drag racing league and we want to do it through the website and what uh we want to do is um you pick a, a winner and runner up of top fuel a winner runner up of funny car winner runner up of pro stock the tiebreaker is going to be the winning reaction time in top fuel uh you get two points if you pick a winner one point if you pick a runner up um and what we want to do is we want to give Nomex Effect gear away. So uh, when you go in and you, you get your picks in, either pick a, uh, if you win, pick a hat, pick a t-shirt. Uh, the winner will make sure to send you a hat or a t-shirt. Uh, you choose. But I think it's kind of a cool way to get the fans involved in the sport. Uh, Absolutely. Root for your drivers. Root for the people that you pick. Um, I know it's it's always awesome. They used to have a fantasy drag racing league uh and it was always cool to get the feedback from the fans of a guy would be coming up in a John Force t-shirt or a Tony Schumacher 
U.S. Army jacket and saying, I'm rooting for you this weekend. I picked you in fantasy. So I, I think it's kind of cool to have that uh, interaction with the fans, interaction, uh, you know, create create new fans, create, a, you know, kind of a cool thing. You know, it's, like I said, it's always neat to have fans come up and, man, I was betting on you in the right. stands and you won me money. So uh, bet on whoever. We're not going to be biased. You can pick us. We'll do the best job that we can. Pick whoever you want. But you get some Nomex effect swag if you win. Yeah, you don't have to pick us just because you follow the show and all that. We, uh, we're not going to get upset. No. <laughs> totally unbiased opinion. So, uh, But thank you guys for joining in. Thank you guys for uh, listening to us on uh, Nomex effect. And make sure you guys stay tuned.